Okay, I'm obsessed with Audible because it lets you enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one app. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. And with female writers and heroines, celebrity narration, multicast productions, Audible has you covered for every type of excitement that you're looking for, including true crime and mystery. And I know all of you love that too. For example, right now, I'm listening to None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash reality life or text reality life to 500 500. That's audible.com slash reality life or text reality life to 500 500. With four daughters and two on a dance team, I can tell you we go through a lot of mascara in my house, but I'm crazy about L'Oreal Paris new Panorama Mascara, which catches every lash for corner to corner for maximum volume. If you're looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank, this is yours. The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. I've been using it for about two weeks now, and I feel like my eye has completely opened up, and the girls are crazy about it too. They've got a tapered brush to catch every lash, one of the best mascara wands that I've ever used. And like I said, this luxe appearance of this gold package you got to get it. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. L'Oreal Paris New Panorama Mascara. You're going to love it. The Amazing Kate Casey. Welcome back to another episode of Reality Life with Kate Casey. Hope that you had a great week and there's tons to watch this weekend. I have some good news. Netflix just released this trailer for a forthcoming documentary due out September 28th. This is going to look at Britney Spears' 13-year conservatorship battle. Now, of course, we've watched the one done by the New York Times. I've interviewed the director. The trailer came out and a narrator can be heard saying no one would talk until they did. Now, Britney Spears' camp has apparently said that they have not seen it, that There's another unauthorized documentary without her blessing or participation. But they also say in this page six article that she can't watch any of this because she's so easily triggered. So who knows? It's called Britney versus Spears. I will say this. The director is Erin Lee Carr, and she is excellent. She is a two-time Emmy-nominated filmmaker, and she's really known for exploring criminal justice, femininity, and virality. She directed the critically acclaimed I Love You, Now Die, The Commonwealth versus Michelle Carter. This was the film about the texting suicide case that captured national interest. She did the May of 2019 At the Heart of Gold inside the USA Gymnastics scandal, which shown a light on the brave survivors of abuse by a former Olympic team physician by the name of Dr. Larry Nasser. And she also did Mommy Dead and Dearest. So she's an excellent filmmaker, and I really feel like she will do a fantastic job. So look forward to that next week, September 28th. It's called Britney versus Spears on Netflix. This week on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which is every Wednesday night, and it's been obviously a very crazy season, I find that every week unpacking the life of Kathy Hilton to be so interesting. I've wanted her to be on the show for so long because we have seen the relationship dynamics between her younger sisters, Kyle and Kim. And I feel like with each person of someone's family that you add to the picture, you get a a better scope of who they are in the world and what kind of set up their decision-making process based on their life experience. 
So Kathy Elton's fascinating because, as Kyle explained, she was basically coddled by their mother as the oldest child. And then when she was 19, she married her husband, who's from a wealthy family. And so she went from a, being coddled by her mother to being coddled by her husband and the staff of people that have worked around them. So here she is. She's a grandmother now, and she is so reliant on a staff and even her sister to do things for her. She's got this palatial estate in Beverly Hills, and she talks about how much it's so hard to do dinner parties. But the honest truth is she's got a staff that does everything for her, makes the food, cleans the house, cleans the silverware, serves the food, cleans it up. And then in this latest episode, she realizes that she's left her phone and her purse and her bag at home. Because she doesn't drive anywhere, this is not top of mind. You know, most of us check when we get to the car to see that we have everything, but she's driven everywhere. So her sister lives in Encino. Kathy lives in Beverly Hills. If you don't know Southern California, just know this. It is a colossal headache to drive anywhere, especially in the LA area because of traffic. So to go from Encino back to Beverly Hills and then get on the highway, you're, you're asking for another hour, hour and a half out of your way. So Kathy says to Kyle, you're going to have to call my house. So Kyle asks her, well, who do I call when I call your house? And by the way, no one has a house phone anymore in the year 2021. Most people have cell phones, but she's so old school. She's got a house phone, presumably because she's an estate manager. Kyle asks her, who do I call when I reach your house? Just call the lady. She doesn't even know the person's name who's her estate manager. I just can't even unpack all of that. To be that wealthy and not have any idea where your bag and your phone is because you're driven everywhere, the fact that you don't even know the name of the person that runs your home, I just, anyway, watch the show every Wednesday. There's the whole Erica thing too, but to see obscene wealth like that and to kind of get a peek into the window of how they live their life, I find to be extraordinarily interesting. Also, this week, Erica Jane candidly addressed her estranged husband's dementia diagnosis and healthcare plan. So at one point, she says, in reference to a page six article, which I'm like, she's like, someone sent it to me. I'm like, you definitely stay up and read every page six article. It says Tom's brother asked the court to give him the authority to place Tom in a facility that treats neurocognitive disorders such as dementia I'm ready to have a nervous breakdown. Regardless of what's going on legally, this is someone that I was married to for 22 years. So it's a little bit interesting because now the narrative is, I'm so upset because I love this man so much. How could you love someone that basically put you in such a precarious legal situation and you're telling us that you have no more money, that you're going to be flooded with lawsuits? How could you still have an iota of love for him, especially when you know that he's cheated people out of millions and millions of dollars of settlements. People that are in different parts of the world and live basically in shacks and are struggling. I, I can't make heads or tails of it. It's like ebbs and flows every episode. And then Dorit mentions the car accident. And then Erica says under her breath, allegedly. So, I mean, it's just like a word salad all the time. So anyway, Again, I know I've said this before, every episode of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills this season, it's like a puzzle that you're trying to unravel and you've got to watch it. This episode I'm so excited about because I have the most excellent docuseries for you to watch on HBO and I am so excited to tell you about it. 
My guest today in this episode is Niall Capello, executive producer of The Way Down, a documentary series premiering on HBO Max on September 30th in its first three episodes. This five-part documentary series is about the controversial Remnant Fellowship Church and its founder, the late Gwen Shamblin, Laura. I watched this a couple weeks ago. I believe this to be the best documentary series of 2021. I have been trying to unpack it ever since I watched it, and I'm very certain you will do the same. The documentary explores the story of Gwen Shamblin Lara's rise to fame and power as a diet guru and church leader, revealing the surprising truth behind closed doors. This encompasses two years of extensive research, interviews, and investigation. The Way Down details the controversial practices of the Remnant Fellowship, including stories of abuse and exploitation, as told by former members and others who were personally impacted. This masterful filmmaking team behind The Way Down includes an Emmy award-winning director. They have created a fascinating documentary that is not only shocking, but also uncovers a story that's surprisingly relatively unknown with the founder of this church passing away in a plane crash this year. Gwen Shanlin Laura was an American author. She was founder of this Christian diet program called The Way Down Workshop, and also the founder of the Remnant Fellowship Church. She earned an undergraduate degree in dietetics from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville and her master's degree in food and nutrition from Memphis State University. She was a registered dietitian, consultant, and a faculty member at Memphis State University for five years and worked in the Tennessee Department of Health for five years. So with that expertise, she begins a weight control consulting practice in 1980. She says that she had struggled with her weight in college. But the surprising thing is she counseled that genetics, metabolism, and behavior modification did not explain why some people were thin while others were overweight. So in her search to figure it all out, she creates this program tied in with the church. So in 1986, she founds the Way Down Workshop, a weight loss program with no food restrictions, exercise regimens or weigh-ins, or calorie counting. So instead, it was about essentially praying the pounds away. Obviously, some experts expressed concern that this program eliminated exercise and guidance on food selection as recommended by the American Dietetic Association. So by 1994... She and her husband, who had created the program, they offered it in Europe and in about 600 churches and in 35 U.S. states. Years later, this would develop into a staff of 40. They would build a headquarters in Franklin, Tennessee. She began hosting an annual summer convention, Desert Oasis in the Nashville area. They hosted more than 21,000 classes for more than 250,000 participants worldwide by August of 1998. Classes were hosted in every state in the U.S. and in Canada and Europe, and she was all over TV. Larry King would have her on all the time. You'd see her on the Today Show. She was this teeny tiny blonde woman with a beautiful Southern accent who seemed to have all the answers. I can help you in your faith, and it can also help you lose weight. So vulnerable people lost in their own faith and with their health looked to her for answers. So with her husband, she begins the Remnant Fellowship, which as mentioned, she founded in 1999. This was with her first husband, David Shamblin. She had been a member of the Church of Christ, split off from that church to create her own church. 
So she's got the diet plan, which sets aside common health guidelines and instead focuses on a reliance on God and then creates the church to support it, urging members that in order to understand the true hunger, they should eat only when their stomachs growled. And though through appearances on popular shows like Larry King Live and Fortune, thanks to best-selling books, touting her strategies to lose weight, it also made her a controversial figure with critics saying that she focused more on unconventional theology than healthy eating habits. So here's where it gets weird. By 2018, she divorces the first husband, David, with some former congregants suggesting that he had been bad for her brand because one, they had marriage problems and she wanted to present herself as somebody who could help you figure out all life's problems by relying on her and relying on God. But also because David, her first husband, had been overweight. He'd struggled with his own weight. So if she couldn't help him with his own weight loss struggle, then he'd have to go. So she divorces him and very soon after marries someone by the name of Joe Lara, who had been an out-of-work actor and a struggling want-to-be country music star. So they get married. They have a big wedding in front of the congregation. And then people become charmed by their love story and, and the power. She had two children from her first marriage, Michael and Elizabeth, who were visible. Michael eventually kind of went to the side after he struggled with his own addiction issues. And Elizabeth, with her small children and doting husband, appear in church videos. So the documentary ex examines these controversial views on weight loss, but also obedience. So along with allegations that the church shunned and even harassed members who wanted to leave, the church functioned more as a cult, according to congregants, than a traditional religious institution. So ex-members describe in the documentary that the church was less a place of worship and more of an all-encompassing power that took over every aspect of their lives. So from where they worked and how they dressed to whom they married, body image and appearances were central components and the documentary chronicles her own transformation from this bubbly young dietitian with this girl next door looks into a, a very thin, very, very thin older woman, heavily made up, whose hair seemed to grow in height in relation to her power. It began as just regular hair. By the end of this, her hair is so high and it makes you wonder if all of the disordered eating caused hair loss and if she was wearing a wig to present herself as healthier, even though she was privately struggling. Gwen Shamlin Lara's broader popularity eventually began to wane in part because of her rejection of the Holy Trinity, views that prompted a Christian publisher to cancel her upcoming book and others to stop promoting her weight loss program. Crazy thing is she used misogyny against other women as a form of control in this remnant fellowship church. And she was one of the few female religious leaders in the evangelical Christian movement, but she had an entirely male leadership team. And she demanded that her congregants adhere to traditional familial gender roles in order to maintain their standing in the church. So among the allegations raised in the series are accusations that individuals unable to lose that weight were marginalized by the church community and that members were encouraged by remnant leadership to stop taking prescribed medication, including birth control and psychiatric drugs. So what's crazy is that in May of this year, a single pilot Jane plane crashed into a lake near Nashville and it killed all seven people on board, which included Gwen, her husband, Joe, two couples from the Remnant Fellowship Church, and then her son-in-law. And now Elizabeth Shamblin is now the de facto leader of the church. 
So I'm thrilled that Niles will be with me today to talk about this most interesting documentary series. And I'm telling you, you are going to do so much Google research. You are going to look through videos on YouTube because you're not going to be able to believe what a crazy story this is. So here we go with Niles. I know everybody right now is on a health kick, and that's why I want to tell you about Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. The Roe Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes, so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. It could be you too. Roe Body Program members have support throughout the process. Roe's partner handles all of the insurance paperwork to help get medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to their provider on demand for any questions. And you can sign up online from the comfort of your own home. And this means no scheduling a doctor's appointment, no commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.com slash KKC. Sign up today and you're going to pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash KKC. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time for you to get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's gas, groceries, or dinner with friends, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit, Discover Bank, member FDIC. Congratulations. I know this took two years of investigative work. How did you find this story? It's a great question. And thank you so much. I, it is as you said, the results of a lot of hard work. And it's really just been such an honor. And I'm so excited to share this story with everyone. I feel like I've been you know, sitting on it for so long. And so I'm just excited for everyone to be able to hear these people's stories. Um, I, you know, my background's in investigative journalism and storytelling generally. And as a would like to think strong woman raised by a very strong woman, single mom from a a long line of single women, uh, of strong mothers um, and women in my family. I am very interested in when that strength and power can be used in in different and sometimes nefarious ways. Mm -hmm. So I am always drawn to stories of of women using their strength for good (laughs) Um, and also, you know, and sometimes for bad and, you know, with, with disastrous consequences, as you see here. So for me, it was really Gwen and her as a woman using, you know, very often misogyny to control other women. And that component, those layers were what really, you know, immediately made me feel like this was, you know, a story that needed to be told on top of that, it being, you know, current and ongoing. I'm always looking for those types of stories. You know, I think as a, someone who works in true crime, there are, you know, there's a lot of value to telling these stories, but for me, I'm always looking for like, what is the impact? What is the why? You know, it's not just here's this story, but it's why are we telling this story? And this for me really hit on that where it was like, there's such an important why 
because it's, it's happening right now. And people don't realize that things like this are still happening every single day in hundreds of churches across the country. Um, and that's the reality of it. So, you know, it really was me. I, I'm always looking for stories. I'm always looking for, for these powerful women figures, you know, in all sorts of different roles. And Gwen really stuck out to me as an interesting character study from that perspective. So fascinating. So tell me about how her her faith really was the cornerstone for her life. Her family followed the Church of Christ. How did that make an indelible mark on her life and in her faith? Yeah, the Church of Christ, you know, she comes from a strong evangelical background. I think the fact that this is a story set in Tennessee, you know, she was raised in Memphis, uh, way down and Remnant are based in out right outside of Nashville. Um, you know, that context is really important to the story as well, because there is, you know, it's Bible Belt. There's this really strong uh, Christian faith there, especially evangelical. And, in, and, you know, I don't know if I fully understood what evangelical meant until this project, because the whole basis of evan- evangelical Christian is you have this message and other people either, you know, they, they need to listen to it or there's, there's nothing else. And so church of Christ has a very similar structure in the sense that it is, this is the one true church and all other churches are not true. And that is very different than your typical Christian church. You know, most Christian churches, you go, maybe you move, you know, you're, you're, you get a new job and you move your family to another church and there's no hard feelings. There's no pressure right. to stay and make it work. Um, you know, there are churches that participate in conferences and big networks and, you know, that, that work together. This is not that. This is a church that believes that if you are not part of this church, you are going to hell. Full stop. So that idea does come from Church of Christ. Um, so, you know, her background of this really, you know, strong Christian evangelical background in Church of Christ clearly set her up for this idea that there is one correct church, one correct way to approach Christianity. That is very present in her ideology. That is basically the foundation of Remnant Fellowship. Um, And so that idea is, you know, why she ended up starting Remnant. At the beginning, it was, you know, Way Down, which was Christian-based weight loss. So it was, you're struggling with your weight. Instead of going to Weight Watchers, you're a Christian woman, and you go to Way Down. And you, you know, start cutting your portions in half, and you start, you know, Instead of what she says is if you don't show the physical signs of hunger, if your stomach is not actively growling, you are not supposed to eat. You are supposed to pray. So, of course, people lost a lot of weight and it was very successful. Um, but that program was being taught in, in churches across the country. The, you know, Baptist, you know, church, like all sorts of, of Christian churches we're incorporating her program. You know, it was like an optional add-on. You're part of our congregation. You're struggling with your weight. Here, do, do the weigh-down program. It was really in, you know, when she announced that she was, she, she denounced the Trinity and announced her church at the same time at this Desert Oasis conference in 1999 that she really started to diverge. And, and at that point, that was when it moved from being not a program taught in other churches but a church itself. And that, I think, goes back to that Church of Christ ideology where 
she was seeing people do the program, but still put back on the weight. And she blamed that on the fact that they were still in these environments. They were still in their home churches surrounded by their, their normal, you know, their friends and family from before the program. She felt that it would be how much more successful would these people be if they were fully, you know, only surrounded by other people that were doing this program and, and committed to this lifestyle and committed to this faith. And so that, you know, that I think does really go back to this Church of Christ idea that there is one true church. And so, you know, fact, you know, thinking on that, you can't just teach your program in other churches. You have to, you have to establish that church yourself. And so that's really where this all came from. Her relationship with her own weight, she studied nutrition and it was obviously a passion. Where did it move from passion to obsession? It's a great question. I mean, her, you know, she's gone through a lot of lengths to really shroud her background and there's still a lot of mystery uh, and a lot of questions there. She was raised by, her father was a doctor and so she, you know, credits to, to growing up in that environment. Um, and then when she went to college, she started studying nutrition. She has said that during that time in college, she put on like, you know, the freshman 15, kind of the typical college weight. Um, but it seems that that was really impactful for her. And somewhere between her gaining that weight, graduating college, meeting her first husband, David Chamblin, it seems that this really went from an interest in nutrition and, you know, coming from someone who has a, a background in Christ, Christianity and Church of Christ to being, you know, a, a, her own ideology and her own, you know, I mean, in, in certain sense, religion. So that, you know, evolution, I think really, it seems that she credits a lot of that to when she first gained the weight and that she kind of went searching for what is a way where I can lose this weight and be a, a skinny eater, be a, you know, um, give myself more over to God at the same time that I'm losing weight. So she credits it to her going on this own path of how can I, how can I marry these two things that I'm looking for in life? And it seems that, you know, I think like you see with a lot of these people, you see it with celebrities, you see it with reality TV stars, yeah. the, the fame and the following and the power is intoxicating. Absolutely. And there's really, you know, I, I think one of the things that Marina and, and our editing team does really well is show Gwen's descent over time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from when she really started putting this stuff out in the world, 1999, 2000, right when she started, you know, denounced the Trinity, started the church, was really moving in this direction. She was like this, you know, sprite, young, full of life woman um, who clearly had a, a genuine passion for God. You know, I mean, we can debate whether that was misguided from the outset, but, you know, she... There was a there was a real liveliness to her and charisma, and you, I think you can see why people wanted to be around that. Mm-hmm. And over time, as her ideology has gotten more and more extreme, and more and more intense, and more and more oppressive, and you hear these stories unfold. Uh, obviously, over the course of the doc, you get into the Joseph Smith stuff. Her, her exterior seems to almost reflect that evolution, and you see her yeah. just deteriorate. And you know, it, it's. It's interesting. We've asked ourselves a lot of those questions. What is the turning point? When did this happen? And I think, you know, that was sort of the kickoff was this weight gain. But it seems like I think it really was this rolling ball of just Christianity and weight loss and power. Mm-hmm. That the more successful it became, the more dangerous it became as well. I also wondered, you know, many people kind of make fun of the hair thing because it just got bigger. 
But I wondered if it was masking hair loss because she's so frail by the end of the um, the docu-series or the, the third part where I'm looking at her worried about her own personal health. And I wondered if that was maybe a weave or a wig to mask a lot of hair loss. I've certainly thought the same thing. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, to me, it's clear. And I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I don't want to like play a psychologist here, but when I look at her, I think of a woman who's clearly suffering from her own insecurities, Definitely. you know, who clearly is struggling with getting older and wanting her husband to find her attractive. I mean, you see these conversations that she had with other women. That to me screams, I'm unhappy and I feel unworthy and I feel overweight and I feel ugly. And that, you know, I, I have a certain amount of empathy there sure. for her, you know, as a woman who understands what it's like to be a woman in this world, and especially from the background that she came from. Um, and I do think that her exaggerated makeup and the hair, I mean, I'm not sure if this ended up in the dock, but their, their faces are white because they put cornstarch in them. And like, there's all of these things that they've, they do, the hair and the cornstarch and the lipstick and the coloring that is trying to almost breathe life into a lifeless person. That's the way that I view it. And so I do think that it's, you know, a, a you see her getting older and you see the hair getting bigger and the makeup getting caked on more. And it's, sad. It's her trying to, you know, hold on to youth that is clearly escaping her. But I also think you see how those insecurities ate her alive. And then she allowed that to eat other people alive. You know, that's a projection. I, I assume, I think, you know, yeah. it feels like a projection of her own insecurities. And I understand that we've all been like, mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, catty middle school girls where like you feel insecure. And so you say something mean to someone else. Like, that that element seems very present here. And I think that the hair and all of these things that she does, there's a sadness there to me. You know, it, it is, you can poke fun of it. And there's, you know, it's, com it's comical. It is. The hair is crazy. But the hair represents, you know, a, a real decaying, I think. Absolutely. Of, of her. Yeah. And also that she was born into this patriarchal structure of Church of Christ. And then she has power and then surprisingly, the leadership is all men. And she, at one point in the documentary, she's, there's a video of her making a structure and she says, God is first. And then she puts a list of authority figures and she really is teaching her congregants to be reliant on a succession of authority figures before oneself. So the, there's so much internal struggle that's going on, which makes her such a complicated, interesting person. I wanted to ask you about her marriage. So she was married to David Shamlin for 20 years. It would seem that she quietly divorced him because it's bad for Brand for two reasons. One, you want to present yourself as somebody who is fully happy and she's encouraging her congregants to stay married, um, but also that he struggled with his weight did I see that in the right way? Or is that what the sense that you guys got? So there's there's two parts to this, I think. You know, there's the component of why was David Shamlin not involved in Remnant? And I think that that is the question that you just answered. He struggled with his weight. He also, you know, we haven't spoken to him, but we've heard that he was not, he, he sort of understood some of the dangers. He has a deep theology background. He has a right. degree in theology. So he comes from a strong Christian background, and it seems that he knew that there was something not right here. But 
they were making a lot of money. He's a businessman and they had a lot of investments. And I, it seems that there was a bit of an agreement of, I'm going to hang out at home and you can go and do your thing. You know, I think lots of men in traditional Christian families think that like my wife has her thing and I have my things. I go golfing and she does this. And I get the feeling that that's sort of what David had thought for a while was like, that's just her thing. I don't need to be fully in. It doesn't matter. And obviously over time when she's, you know, preaching obedience to, you know, weight loss and all of these things, questions came up about, you know, but what about your husband? He's not here. He's not overweight. That was definitely there. But she stayed married and she made herself basically a martyr um, she called them Beulah wives. So she created, she was the ultimate Beulah wives and all of the Beulah life. And all of these Beulah wives were women whose husbands were not part of Remnant, who, who were in Remnant and doing way down, but their husbands were not. Wow. And they, she really put herself up as this martyr. And we had other Beulah, you know, former Beulah wives who spoke to us and said, we were in those rooms with her talking, you know, her putting herself up as, well, I'm, you know, I don't have the support and I'm still doing it. And if I can do it, you can do it. So I almost think that she used that as really, you know, she used it to her advantage for a long time. The reason that she ended up divorcing David is because she met Joe without a question. I don't think anyone believes that her and David would have split if Joe had not come into the picture because he seems to have it seems like they had come to a agreement of the way that things were working and they both seemed okay with that. It was clearly not either of their ideal situations. Um, But, you know, when Gwen met Joe, I think that he offered what David didn't. You know what I mean? He was willing to be right alongside her, to say what she wanted him to say, to do it, dress the way that she wanted him to dress. He was, you know, slim, good looking, a former actor. It was like, oh my God, great. This is easy. And he also was looking for things. <laughs> and it seemed like it just made sense for them, you know? And that was really what finally gave her the push to divorce David and go through with that. And then it became divorce is no longer a problem with the church. You know, after you have years and years of these women coming to her and asking to, to be granted divorces and being denied, um, you know, all of a sudden she meets Joe and, and it's okay. And so that, um, you know, really has shaken things up. But I, I think everyone, you know, within the church also, you know, it, it seems that that is generally the interpretation of what happened. Unbelievable. And he is such a strange figure. Um, as people will see in the docu docu series, he uh, was married previously. He has a daughter. There's a lot to unpack there. He's such a strange figure, but to your point, it seemed like they right, met each other at the right time because he was able to carve out that figure, that loving, adoring partner who would sing the songs and show up in the promotional videos. I was also interested in his her two children. So she's the son, Michael a daughter, Elizabeth. Elizabeth seems to also be very frail. What was your sense in your research? Um, I mean, I, the, the thing about this series, and I think that you, you see two sides to each person. It's hard to really um, walk away not feeling empathy for each character. 
And that, and the Elizabeth is the one that really I'm troubled most by. And that I, I think that has been keeping me up mostly at night. I feel exactly the same. Um, I was shocked by how emotional I felt. Even myself watching. I mean, I cried when I watched Michael's sequence for the first time. And I was like, I remember texting Marina and being like, I'm shocked that I feel this way. You know, knowing that he's also done terrible things. You know, part of what what originally drew me to this story is this idea that I, I play with a lot in my work of, you know, we are raised in our parents' shadow. Mm-hmm. What what that looks like when you are, you know, you're raised in an environment. I, you know, I, I've written about like homeschool communities and what that looks like when you take a child out of, you know, the, the, the bubble becomes smaller and smaller. And so in this case, you have to understand that this is their entire life, yeah, sure. you know? Um, and I think that that, is really hard because Michael clearly struggles with being, as they would say, in the message. He struggles with his weight. He struggles with alcohol. He's had you know, struggled with infidelity. And it, everyone knows that. It's, it's very well known in the church. He will disappear for months at a time. But what does he do? You know, what do you do in that situation? You leave your entire right. family, all of your friends, your the person who owns your house, the person who, who did your insurance, the per- your dentist, your employer, your um, doctor, your children's doctors. You know, that element is so strong for any member of Remnant, any member of any group like this. That's the whole, you know, that's the whole issue. I'm explaining, you know, what a cult is, which is obvious. But that element when you, when it's also your family, your entire family, your entire life, your entire career. You've never made money outside of your family. You've never, you have no relationships outside of that. It becomes just even harder. And I think that that's, you know, it's hard because especially for Michael, I think, you know, would he be in Remnant Mm -hmm. if he had not been born into it? I highly doubt it. Elizabeth is a little bit of a different case. And I worry a lot for Elizabeth because she does seem very frail and very ill. And, you know, thinking about what I was saying about a woman, you know, just thinking about as a woman, all the messages you get every day from, you know, magazines and TV about your body and what you need to look like and how you need to please your husband and how you need to be submissive and be a good mom and a good wife and pretty and skinny Mm-hmm. that coming from a, a religious leader. So someone saying, not just you need to be skinny or else you're not going to be loved, but you're going to be, if you're not skinny, you're going to hell forever. Plus that being your mom yeah. and you being a young girl growing up in this, I mean, you know, born into this environment and we have stories of kids, you know, not Elizabeth and Michael specifically, but I, you know, it's common knowledge that they were on these programs as youth as well. But, you know, these are nine-year-olds being told to lose weight, you know, nine-year-olds being you know, little kids. So to have that from pretty much day one just compounds the levels of control. And as much as, you know, I want to be like run for the hills and there's so much more to life out there for you guys. Um, it's hard to imagine that you can undo the entire, it's every thread of their being. You know, it's not just pulling one thread, it's the entire fabric. And 
I don't, you know, it's hard, it's hard to know how, how you could possibly unpack that for them. And also to have horrible life experiences happen and not be able to seek therapy because it's, you're told that you can just pray. 100%. The only people that they could go to was Gwen and the other leadership. Elizabeth's baby was alive. She had an infant that died. She had an infant that died and you're, you had a miscarriage. Like you should be fine if she's fine. With DoorDash, there's something for everyone. You need a birthday gift? Check. Need to stock up on meals, sides, and drinks that your family loves? Also check. Pet ran out of food again? They've got it. Wellness essentials need a restock? It's a good thing they've got those too. The DoorDash app allows you to customize, substitute, schedule, and track your orders, as well as communicate with your shopper while receiving real-time updates. This has been a huge game changer for myself and for our family. Millions of people trust DoorDash for groceries, pet supplies, gifts, well-being, and more, and you should too. Shop with DoorDash and enjoy big savings. Use code KATECASEY to get 50% off up to $10 value on $15 minimum subtotal on your next convenience, grocery or retail order. For eligible users only, terms apply. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. So one of the cult interventionists in, in this series says the remnant culture is completely devoted by, to controlling the exposure to the external world, which is why they created a whole series of networks that include childcare and homeschooling initiatives as a way of keeping the children within the milieu of the group. And because of the culture, you can leave the children with other adults easily. So children can be watched over by anyone that's older. So the authority line doctrine empowers children to be as young as nine discipline, disciplining other children as young as five without any input from parents. So you have two layers of here of authority. You have uh, leaders of the church, all men, who are telling you how to raise your children. And then they're basically setting up a structure that older children can also tell your children how to behave. And they're all reliant on the same philosophy, which is complete obedience to the point where they expected three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds to sit in a three-hour church service. And then in some cases, spank them, hit them with glue sticks to keep them obedient. As mentioned, there is a case that's discussed in the series about a little boy. This must have been a really hard part of the filmmaking process for all of you. Joseph Smith's case never really broke through. And it's a tragedy, a completely unavoidable tragedy. And the fact that more people don't know about it and the fact that his parents are serving life sentences while running a ministry for the church at the prison, recruiting other people in prison to Remnant Fellowship, that Remnant has completely defended and, and protected these parents to this day 
they pray for the Smiths at, you know, frequently. Um, that was horrifying, but also extremely motivating because mm. nobody is looking out for, for Joseph Smith and no one is looking out for kids like him and Remnant. And that was really sad. And yeah, I mean, the authority line is, you know, there's a real openness in terms of anyone can really discipline your child. And I think that's the important thing in the sense that it's not like a, you know, I mean, I think in most churches, you're not having like your fellow congregant spank your child. No. If you found out that someone you knew from church had hit your child or disciplined them or yelled at them, you, most people would be upset. That is extremely common and completely approved by remnant you are if you are in leadership you are top of the game so it's like you said all the men and then usually their wives they are the authority figures over everyone else but then when it comes to ages it is solely by age so you can have a 14 year old disciplining an 11 year old it is only age and nothing else. So you could have a 14 year old who's not very well behaved, you know, disciplining a younger child who is, you have kids left with older kids. You have, you know, you don't really know. That's the thing we've heard from a lot of parents is there are times where you don't know where your kids are. You don't know whose house they're going to be at. You don't know who's taking care of them. You're told you guys go into the church, let the kids do this, or, you know, we're going to go into this event and and let the kids go. And, and there's sort of, because it's that environment, it's this, you know, you, I mean, I think communes are probably, you know, a, a comparison where it's like, we are raising our kids together. It is not these individual families, it is one family raising the kids together. And that's sort of the the mindset where it's like, well, yeah, you can be disciplined by anyone because we're all raising these kids. They're they're remnant children. The children belong to the church. The children do not belong to their parents. And that is, I think, a very important, that is the way the church would like it to be. The children are remnant children. They are not, you know, Elizabeth's children or Michael's children, they're remnant kids. And that is why there's such an emphasis on keeping the children within the fold. There is this, it, it offers them a guarantee because it, it ensures that the legacy in the church will continue. And that is their ultimate motive. So as I was watching this series, now I watched this a little bit ahead of time. So I had the luxury of perusing social media to look at pictures. And I kept thinking, do some of these church elders know about this series? At this point, I think most of the elders know. We've, okay. We started reaching out in January, um, sending them letters. Um, you know, we, we have a very solid line of communication that we attempted. Um, you know, uh, they have not engaged, um, but they have responded and we know that they've acknowledged um, they did end up providing us a statement that we'll be including at the end of the series. So at least we know that the key people know. We don't know how many people know. Um, we also know, you know, it would be very typical of Remnant for them to do everything they can to make sure that their people don't see this talk. Which is um, par for the course. Of yeah, very par for the course. Yeah. So, you know, if I had to hypothesize, I would guess that some of these leaders know, 
not all of them, only the top ones. I would guess Elizabeth knows, Michael knows. We also, we sent them letters, so they definitely know. The lawyers know, everyone like that. I I don't think they're making announcements about it at church. I think that they're probably doing their best to to minimize um, access during this time. So we will see. I mean, we definitely, you know, they, they know, they also, they know that something's coming. I don't think that they know how long I've been working on this. I don't think that they know what we've collected. Um, I would assume that they think that we're capitalizing on the deaths, which is, you know, not true. Not at all true. The date was, uh, this was always the date for our premiere. Um, we'd already been done, you know, a, a year of filming. Um, you know, we were already very much all, nothing has really changed since then except for our strategy a little bit. Um, but this is certainly not something where like after they died, we, you know, rush to put this together. Um, this has already been happening. I know that they're going to probably, that's going to be their interpretation of it. And what they tell, I would assume to everyone else is Mm -hmm. that we're just people trying to capitalize on the deaths and, you know, that's, it's unfortunate because that's definitely not what we're trying to do. But I also, we came into this knowing that, you know, even if a few people from Remnant watch it and question or a few family members of people who are in Remnant watch it in question, that's enough. Some of the church elders would log into people's uh, congregants' social media accounts. So there is a lot of control on their part of what the congregants see. So that's really fascinating. As mentioned, the the couple, Gwen and Joe, died in a plane crash in May with two other couples and Gwen's son-in-law. You had already been working on this project for quite some time when this happened. This must have been shocking. It was, I mean, there's there's really no words for how shocking it was. It was beyond uh, my wildest. If you had asked me, you know, a few months before that happened, like what, what would be the craziest thing that could happen to your series at this point? Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know if I would have come up with that. Um it is the the right turn, the curveball none of us could have ever imagined and certainly wouldn't have wished for. It's no, it's a tragedy not. objectively, Absolutely. you know. And I think we've really that's why we want, you know, it, we're not capitalizing on their debts, so that's important for people to know, I think. But also, you know, it's still an, an, a story that needs to be told. And I think that we kind of went through that, you know, A, there was okay, figuring out who was on the plane, making sure that there weren't any kids on the plane, because that was a a big question at the beginning. Um, And then, you know, having conversations among ourselves and also listening to our sources. You know, I think that that for me is like the biggest thing in my work and the biggest thing in this project was like, I felt like I found these people who had just been screaming into the void about this and trying to get someone to listen to their stories. And so I just see myself as sort of this like middleman where I'm able to get these stories to all of the people who should hear their stories. Um, But they are the ones who we keep coming back to. And they're the ones that we take our cues from. And I think I've been really lucky where Campfire and Rena and HBO Max, like we all are, are on that, have that same mentality. And so in those days, you know, there was so much uncertainty around it. But what we were hearing from all of our sources was like, I really hope that this doesn't change anything. And it doesn't mean that the doc isn't going to happen. Because for all these people to have given us interviews and opened up all of this, for them to think that that would have been for nothing, that would have been uh, like 
I wouldn't have been able to live with myself and letting them down in that way. And so everything I said is still true. And the church is still there and it's still going and they're recruiting more people every day. So, you know, that left us with, I think, a real responsibility to go forth and tell these stories and and bring it to the public in the way that we intended. This is the docu-series to watch for the year, you guys. You will be obsessed. Three parts, September 30th. This is outstanding. HBO Max, so well done. Um, waiting for the, the, the last two parts, which of course you are working on right now. Tell everybody where they can find you. Again, this is extraordinary. Great job. Thank you so much, Kate. So you can find me at uh, yesliketheriver.com or at yesliketheriver on Instagram or pretty much anywhere else, um, which is just like my fun name, uh, a little nod to my name. Can we just say also HBO Max, killing it. They've also been the most incredible partners. I could not have wished for a better home for this. And I feel just so lucky to be putting it out on a platform that is making such incredible content and that people can rely on for doing the right stories in the right way. And and that is, I, I could not have asked for a better experience working with them. So I feel that way as a viewer, but also as, as yeah. a producer, like they are killing it on all ends. So all ends. it's just real. This is so great. Thank you a million times. I'm so excited for everyone to see it. I'm dying to see what everybody else thinks. I've been sitting yeah. on, you've been sitting on this for two years. I've been sitting on it a couple of weeks. I'm bursting out of my skin. You must be too. So again, great job. Thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you and I'm excited for everyone to see it. I want to thank my great guest, Niles, and remind you guys to click subscribe, leave a five-star review. Check out my Facebook group, Reality Life with Kate Casey, to talk about this episode, also what you're listening to, what you're reading, and the shows that you're watching. You can find me on Twitter at at Kate Casey. I tweet about shows and during shows all week long. My Instagram is at Kate Casey CA. Go over there and check out the videos that I've done with Jonathan Mark this week about the Gabby Petito case and other unsolved mysteries. You can, again, check that out at at KateCaseyCA on Instagram. I'm on TikTok at It's Kate Casey. My list of what to watch comes out every Monday. You can go to katecasey.substack.com to sign up for that. You will get it in your email box every Monday. And I'm going to give you about seven to 10 things that you can watch every week. And it's a great guide, especially as you go into the weekend. And then you can check out my Patreon for bonus episodes. And I've been doing a ton this week with Jonathan Mark on missing and unsolved cases. So check that out. I'm hoping that you have a great week. And my next guest will be Mia Thornton from The Real Housewives of Potomac. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. 
Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.